Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and once again I'm joined by Benji and Ale. On this podcast, we show the humans behind the whistle through the eyes of referees past and present, as well as the broader footballing world. Today's guest is Dr. Tom Webb. Tom is a course leader and senior lecturer in sports management and development at the University of Portsmouth. Tom is founder and coordinator of the Referee and Match Official Research Network, which was formed as a result of the widely published research from a variety of disciplinary perspectives on the subject of referees and match officials in sport, including a book he just published about match officials and abuse. Tom has worked with a number of high-profile sporting organisations such as UEFA, the Premier League, the MCC and the International Netball Federation. It was really interesting to talk to Tom about football and match officials from a different perspective. Analyze and study referees all over the world, including England and the Premier League, Italy in the Serie A and La Liga in Spain. He also researched match officials in other sports, such as rugby and netball. His main focus was on referee abuse and what are some of the ways to tackle it? What are the solutions? What are the things that we can do? And why are referees considered such an outside agent to what football is, whilst teams and supporters are all in for the same reason? It was a truly interesting episode, looking at refereeing and match officials from a different point of view. I learned a lot out of it personally. I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Let's get on with the show. Come on, I recommend a on-field review. Stop it, stop it, stop it! We've got to hook the report for it. Thank you again, Tom, for joining us today. It's uh, it's very exciting. It's going to be a really interesting podcast. It's uh, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting topics we can we can we're going to chat about that obviously are very close to the refereeing world. So, how about we start talking a little bit about you and why don't you tell us how did you get into researching match officials? What's uh, what's your background? Thanks for having me, guys. First of all, uh, good to be here. Yeah, well, I've been researching match officials in sport really for 15, 16 years now. So it's led to a number of publications, I think over 40, two books along the way and various projects that are ongoing and, you know, things in the pipeline as well. It all started back when I was doing my master's degree and effectively my course leader contacted me, knew I was interested in football research and I played football at a reasonable level um, and I was interested in looking at projects for my dissertation for my master's in that area. So he said, I've, I've got a project with the FA, would you be interested? And obviously as a master's student, you know, for, as a dissertation to have that sort of, you know, put in front of you, be pretty stupid to, to say no um, as an opportunity and then the contacts you're going to make and things like that. So I, I said, yeah, happy to come to the meeting. And I didn't know that the project was around uh, refereeing in, in football in, in England. Um, so I went to the meeting and that was what it was about. So there were two members of the FA refereeing department at the time. And basically they wanted to do a quite a large scale project, which considered the training development of referees and also issues related to retention. They were finding that the referees were leaving the game and they weren't really sure why or what the in-depth answers might be. And they wanted help finding that out. So anyway, we worked with them and and as part of my dissertation, we devised an online survey, which back in sort of 2003, four, when that first went out was much more difficult than it is today to do. And effectively, what what came back was 
some issues around the recruitment and retention in particular related to abuse, related to uh, some training and development. But abuse was a, was a big issue in terms of why people were thinking about leaving and, and things like that. And so we, we presented the findings and the FA were based at Soho Square in London at the time. We went up and presented the findings and my dissertation went, went from there, was made into write a report on the back of it that went to the FA. Um, and they used some of that information to help underpin the RESPECT programme, which was launched a couple of years later, 2008. And then I went and worked in the sector in sports management, a couple of different projects I worked on, always had the intention of coming back to higher education. And I kept in touch with, with people at the FA and, and, and those contacts and things my time in the sector as well and from work I was doing in the sector and I came back to University of Portsmouth and got offered the opportunity of doing a PhD and so I got in touch with those contacts at the FA again and just said look you know I'm interested in picking up the refereeing research I really enjoyed it last time it was really interesting I think there's a number of areas that, that are still under research having you know looked around a little bit of the literature then the, the basically my PhD project was sort of born from a number of meetings and calls with people in England but also abroad and things like that and my, my PhD focused on elite officiating in England Spain and Italy the Premier Leagues La Liga and Serie A which is what the first book came from as a result of that it was my PhD thesis adapted for the book and effectively, uh, that, that research took me to Italy to observe and, and interview part of their training camp at Covacciano, uh, just outside Florence. Um, it took me to Spain, to Madrid, to do the same, to observe and to interview the referees and trainers and managers of referees in, in Madrid as well. And then the same in England um, with the Premier League. Some of those guys um, also took me to France, to Clairefontaine, to look and observe their referees, took me to FIFA, conducted interviews there, to UEFA. So uh, it really was a comparative analysis, a cultural piece of research across countries, looking at training, development, how culture influences behavior and training and performance and, and from lots of different perspectives and then as part of that 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 research really focused and what came through as well was about this abuse that referees at the top level were receiving from the crowd from players and things like that even at that top level and I sort of got to thinking then oh okay well I wonder if that's still prevalent I wonder what impact the respect programs had and so I went and revisited you know what impact has, has the respect program had where are we you know 2008 up to we started looking at that uh, nine years later so what impact has it had and that's where the the strand of research which focuses on abuse recruitment retention support of referees and match officials across sports as well we expanded that to look at different sports where that sort of come from so as a sort of brief history of yeah where it's where we're at and then it's sort of developed from there but we'll obviously talk about some of that as we go but that's sort of how it's got to the point it, it has really so that's really interesting because almost because you haven't had refereeing experiences before and then all of a sudden you get thrown in this full-on environment with Premier League and the Serie A, especially Serie A, I, I know very well, uh, and La Liga, where there's obviously this uh, different world of refereeing. What was your first impressions when when you got exposed to it? What did you think of referees? Um, it was the first of all. I should say I did have the opportunity to do uh, refereeing qualifications, and I deliberately didn't. As a researcher, I wanted to maintain independence. And, and I'm, I'm pleased I made that decision because that, that's been really important to, to just have that, you know, gap and, and sort of space from 
the the research is really important for me. So so I'm yeah. pleased I made that decision. The the first impressions were how professional it was. If I'm honest, I, I probably didn't expect the levels of professionalism that I saw across the countries. You know, these guys are really athletes. You know, they they are highly trained, highly skilled people operating at the top of their game. Whatever you think of them, you know, if you're a supporter and things, all I can say is is you know, from the research I've done is they are the most professional group of people that I have observed in in the work I've done. The support around them is is really really good from the physical, physiological, biomechanical side of things. One aspect which which was uh, quite different from country to country was the psychological support and provision that differed quite markedly. Some countries saw more potential in that than others i would say some bought into it more than others and that's still the case today you know the research when i was there was only you know a few years ago it wasn't that long so hasn't changed that much i was made to feel very welcome in in, in spain italy and and uh, france when i went there really as part of as part of the group as part of the technical uh, management group that were overseeing the referees I, I act with those guys the managers and, and picked their brains and interviewed them as part of the research and they were very welcoming yeah and and, and my my experiences were were wholly positive really can't speak highly enough I'm still in touch with with Carlo Castagna who oversees the physiological and biomechanical preparation in Italy um, I organized a uh, symposium which Carlo contributed to over the summer with some quite high level people from different countries and things like that so yeah really still in touch with with, with some of these guys as well, which is which is really good. And, 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 and it's important for me to just keep abreast of what's happening as well as a researcher, but also someone who's just really interested in what they're doing, you know, and the development and, and things that are happening in professional refereeing as well as that, as that continues to evolve. Absolutely. It's that world where no one really quite, you see it from one perspective, you see these referees uh, on the matches in there, usually, usually all in black and it's the sort of, group that you don't really know too much about. And so I think that's really interesting to hear that you um, had one perspective and saw a complete different side um, once you started to get involved in this space and to see that referees are ultimately working very hard and ultimately have the best intentions and are working away um, very hard at what they do. And I guess as an extension of that, how would you describe when you were starting to interact your observations about the referees and the culture and, and teamworks? We talk a lot on this podcast about the human side of referees and um, the importance of having very, being very human, having uh, friendships, having teamworks. What were some of your observations in when you went to Italy, when you went to Spain of, of how the referees um, worked with each other, how they treated each other and how they went about their lives? It's very collegiate as a group. I'd say that about all of the groups I observed and interacted with in the different countries. Very supportive, very interesting in, in how performance is dealt with in different countries. So in Italy, they're quite cutthroat in terms of if you're bottom of the merit table, that's it. You're, you're demoted and you can't come back to Serie A. Basically, that that's it. There's there's no coming back from that. Now that that doesn't happen in the other countries. I mean, there are cultural differences. The, the, the differences more, you know, with the style of officiating as well is, is different. I mean, in Europe, even you can see that difference. You know, if you're talking Italy and Spain, Latin Europe, effectively compared to the Premier League, it is different. You know how how the officiating style changes, and you can see that as well in terms of how the officials might perform in the Champions League, for example, compared to the Premier League and La Liga and Serie A and, and Liga in 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 France as well. So there are differences. And then, of course, that's 
uh, highlighted and exacerbated more when you step outside Europe. So if you look at Japanese referees, for example, and and how they officiate in South American compared to Europe as well as a, as a general sort of group, that's why I always find the World Cup you know, really, really exciting to watch, not just from, a, you know, watching the players and, and the teams, but also actually the officials and how different they are. Um, and you can give the directives, that's fine, you know, and then they know, or well, they all know the laws of the game. That's one thing. But how those laws are applied and how they deal with the soft skills, with the players and the behaviour and things like that is quite different. And I always find that fascinating to watch. Just from the, you know, obviously I did a lot of work around culture. So to, to sort of see it in action, I, I always find really, really interesting when World Cups come around and European Championships to a slightly lesser extent as well. But um, yeah, I mean, having observed them, you know, in the training and, and, and how they are as a group, it's it's really interesting to see the sort of bonds there. And I think, you know, I think that that's really important, particularly when obviously match days, you know, in the Champions League, they'll have groups of six, seven officials you know that are coming from the same country quite often that go and officiate fixtures you know so that that teamwork is is really important i think it's funny when you mentioned the cutthroat um, culture and refereeing in italy makes me think about all the times jack and i talk about federation stuff here the course i did when i was in italy and i say oh you know you need to if this happened you would have been out and he's like yeah because it's a dictatorship over there mate you can't you can't do anything wrong in italy and you're out it is i almost can't i always when ally it's it's really interesting your reflection on that tom because when ally tells me these things i almost it sounds like that's ridiculous that can't be true that can't be right but you know what you're saying there actually it supports everything ally says it's fascinating how those cultures cultures differ between the two did you do anything or have any looks at australian referees i know we're a, a minnow on the world stage at the moment so it's unlikely uh no although we we are um in the process of of actually talking to a couple of the organizations over there about a potential uh, piece of research some survey work um around officiating but also returning to officiating after covid and things like that so i've i've been in contact with a couple of people in australia different regions in canada and the uk as well so we're, we're potentially looking at how that looks across different countries and cultures so hopefully that that one comes off because i think that'll be really interesting to look you know different parts of the world and how we're you know trying to deal with some of the complexities of covid and and coming back to officiating and and participating again in the, the different landscape that we're finding when we do come back that that's part of that research and also whether behaviors changed or altered or any, if referees have noticed anything different that sort of stuff you know because it could be a real opportunity as well as a, you know there's difficulties but there could be real opportunities opportunities in there as well so i wrote about that i got asked to write an article about that over the summer which is which is free to access actually which most journal articles aren't um which is really good so it's got quite a lot of reads but um a few thousand which is which is very good for a journal article normally we don't you know as academics you can get anywhere near that if it's you've got to pay for it so i think there are opportunities in in the landscape potentially so we're hoping that this piece of research sort of we can sort of identify and highlight some of that as well so we're hoping if we can get out before christmas we will it might might be the new year given you know the challenges at the moment and things but um yeah that's something we're working on at the moment i think that feeds quite well into into another area of discussion um with covid there's been a lot of football stopped around the world a lot of referees who i think have been doing it for years and years have now been at a point where they, they haven't been able to do it and it's made referees 
uh, reconsider and, and think, you know, this is something that I, I've been doing. Is this something that I will go go back to do again, which is a, a thought process that most referees, particularly uh, in their first few years, would consider quite strongly at the end of every year. We talk about um, that culture in Italy. In Australia, it's very different because I think we really need as many referees as we can get. Um, and the culture is very much just around doing what we can to just keep getting referees and um, making sure we have enough referees to cover games because there are issues with um, with retention, with referees who will start and then they maybe do one season, two seasons and don't want to go back. And that's now a, a similar thought process after the return to play um, where referees who have maybe been at home during lockdown are thinking, you know, is this something that I want to go back to, to go back to potential issues of, um, of abuse that is part of football, which would probably be, I would imagine, the main reason why referees um, don't return. So I, I'm really interested to have a have a chat about some of your your research and what you found about uh, issues with why referees leave the game, and have a bit of a chat about the nature. We we haven't talked about it too much yet in the podcast, but it's an inherent part of, of football and refereeing that uh, referees unfortunately do get abused um, and have to face. That, that sort of pressure from players, coaches, the fans. So, um, yeah, it'd be really great to hear some of your, your thoughts and, and what, what the research has, has been saying. So, yeah, so abuse is a, is a significant contributory factor to, to, you know, drop out effectively. Um, there are other reasons. There are other factors. I mean, lack of support, uh, feelings of isolation, um, disenfranchised, individuals with the disciplinary process sometimes you know that they might have suffered some form of abuse or something's happened and they've reported it and they've not heard and so it exacerbates the problem of the initial abuse so there are there are a few reasons and and but abuse is undoubtedly you know it's a major concern and it's not going away you know so I mean if we look at if we take England I've done a few sort of talks recently with with referees associations with with county FAs did a couple yesterday with with Kent county FA uh, two different groups one in the morning one in the evening so well over a 100 referees in that what they were, were talking about was their experiences and we were talking about abuse and things and the majority have experienced it in some form or another now of course it affects us in different ways so and the severity of the abuse you know, affects people in different ways. The more severe it is, the more likely it is to have a long-lasting effect and an effect in terms of, you know, discontinuation as well, people dropping out. So it is it is a major concern. It's not just in football. Um, we've looked at other sports as well. Rugby union, rugby league, cricket, all, all had concerns around verbal abuse in particular. Football was higher, but, but again, there are cultural issues at play there as well and historical issues where... It's been around in football for quite a long time. And I think there's this perception that football is the only sport that has these issues. It, it definitely isn't. You know, from our research and certainly in the book that we published a couple of weeks ago, we looked at other countries, we conducted research in other sports and in other countries looking at football as well, but also uh, media reports around coverage of, of abuse in other sports in America, in, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Canada, in South America. And it's there, it exists. In the, in, you know, it's not just football that's got this problem. So I think it is a wider societal issue. But of course, football has certain challenges that are unique to football as the other sports have certain challenges that are unique to them. There are trends that go across those sports in terms of abuse is one. This idea of isolation is another. This idea of a lack of support, of support networks needing 
um, more structure around match officials. Those things crossed international boundaries as well in terms of the research we've, we've conducted. So I think it's it's, it's easy to, to sort of highlight abuse as a problem, and it is it is a problem, but a lot of these things are interlinked as well. You know, support goes hand in hand. If there's a abusive situation, you need effective support networks to be able for that individual to deal with it at the time and afterwards. It then has a knock-on effect in terms of things like well-being and mental health. And there's there's nowhere near enough research on mental health for match officials. There's hardly anything. Um, we've published a couple of things lately, and we're, we're developing that. Uh, we published two papers over the summer. We've got another one which is coming out soon. Um, hopefully, another one in in a couple of months as well. So we are looking at that. There's a chapter in the book which focuses on that as well. But certainly, more needs to be done to understand some of the impact of some of these issues we're talking about on referees and match officials' mental health. That's that's something that we need to understand a lot more. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, it's been so ingrained in our role and in football. Sometimes it feels almost like it's normal. It's, well, it's, it just happens, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Mm. It feels like sometimes that's the approach. Um, I know for me it was really different to see, obviously, the abuse in Italy, and then here in Australia, but he, when I came here in Australia, I'm like, this is a walk in the park because I, I don't have 10 people where every time I make a decision, just screaming at me, or, you know, I don't need the police to get out of a stadium or that sort of stuff. So, but at the same time, again, those cultural differences as well that you mentioned before for someone that it's used to sport here, even just being yelled at by a parent could be something different but for me coming from Italy having someone that tries to jump the fence to chase me uh, that's what they tell us at the, at the course when I did the course they told us you know I remember this is still this was like almost 15 years ago now but our instructor told us if you get assaulted do not reiterate because you'll get in trouble so basically they told us if you get bashed do not punch back just run mm. because otherwise you're getting in trouble so that's you know, I grew up with that culture of, well, I'm going to get abused. That's it. Mm. And I guess that also had me going to be more resilient because probably I had that expectation of that happening, um, which doesn't mean it's right because, again, it's not the right thing. But definitely that support was, I was lucky in Italy having that because we're, you know, probably the cutthroat culture also make all the referees grow a lot, a lot closer. And there's, big, there's big differences in Italy, isn't there, in terms of the, I found that in terms of where, where you are, you know, in the north and south of the country in yeah. terms of being a referee and things like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've experienced a bit of everything, mostly in the north part of Italy. But yeah, it, you know, it's, it's different, different cultures you know, being such a varied country, which I guess it could be the same probably in Spain or in England, uh, or you would get the same in the US, you know, such a big country. We're really excited to have launched the Ref Coach members area on the website. We're going to be putting loads of fun, exciting, educational content on there. So you need to become a member. Head to the Ref Coach website, refcoach.org to sign yourself up. When you mentioned isolation, I feel like, you know, referees been seen maybe as outsiders of football plays also a big part in that. What, what do you think? Yeah, we, we've, um, we, we found in the book and in other publications, um, other studies really, that what, what sort of happened over time is referees have become almost like an out group within 
the sport they're in or the match officials, whatever sport they're in. And effectively, this has happened over time. If we if we take that, you know, as football as an example, you can sort of see the evolution from, you know, when it was codified in 1863 and then the first referees were often school teachers and, um, and there was a big societal difference. And, and quite often they were middle class people who were seen to be in charge of like the rabble, if you like, and telling them what to do. And the class system was a big influence over that. And then over time, what, what's happened is, uh, you know, that referees, although they're involved in sport and they're involved in football, they've become this sort of group that are almost a necessary, you know, part of it, but not accepted as part of it. So, and and what we found is this out group, you had the in group, which was players, coaches and spectators. And the reason they're the in group, if you think about it, is sort of, it's quite linear in terms of how you think about it because the coaches, players and spectators have all got the same goal. Okay. They all support one of the teams or they play for one of the teams or they coach one of the teams that's playing. And so they want that team to win. The players, coaches and spectators that are involved with that team want that team to win. And likewise, the team they're playing, the players, coaches and spectators are there because they want that team to win. The match official, the referee, there's no, that's not their purpose. They're not there. They don't care who wins. It does not the purpose. They're there to uphold the laws of the game. Now, what that does is then creates friction because the teams and, and the different groups within those teams, the players, coaches and spectators, see the match official as someone that's stopping them achieving the goal they're there to do, which is to win the fixture or, and either play in it, coach it or support the winning team. And so the match official becomes this sort of almost divisive figure who actually is stopping people doing what they want to do. And that's sort of what it's become. And, and this relationship has broken down over time and that needs to be reset. That, that needs to be considered. There needs to be some sort of, of understanding of the role of the match official across sports, of the importance of the role of the match official. That also comes into it because, you know, if they're not there, that fixture doesn't take place. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, of course people are going to, in the heat of the moment, there's going to be moments when people lose their temper, when things happen. And that's sport. We accept that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a fundamental breakdown in this relationship between match officials and these other groups. And so match officials become this out group who are tolerated as part of, you know, they're needed, but but they're not considered part of the sport almost. And that's sort of where we've got to with it. And we need conflict resolution as part of this. We need to look at resetting this, this dynamic between the different groups, if you like. And, and, there's various ways you can do that. You can look at implementing things as part of coaching awards. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but just about the role of the referee, what they're there to do, what they're trying to achieve, why they're there. You know, which might sound simplistic, but a lot of players, coaches and spectators don't even consider that. You know, it's just this person turns up, officiates the game, and that's sort of all they know. And if, it, if they don't notice them, then good. They've had a good game in their eyes. If they do notice them, then that's probably not a good thing for that match official because it probably means there's going to be some form of grief, abuse, whatever that might be. So I think there needs to be a real consideration about how these groups interact. And actually, I, I put something out yesterday on, on Twitter because the FA have put some directives out related to COVID-19 and, and returning to play in England. And actually, it's match officials, referees, who have, have got to effectively judge whether, you know, the COVID procedures are taking place as they should at, at these fixtures. Now, for me, that that is asking too much of the 
the referee, you know, that's putting them in a potentially even more vulnerable position. You know, what happens if they're not taking place as they should? Is it the referee's duty to then call the fixture off, to, to inform the teams that they're then not playing? And that opens up, a, you know, some potentially dangerous situations and hostile situations. And, and I'm not sure that's the appropriate way of, of doing it. I, you know, we've got league officials that could do that. We've got club officials that could do that. You know, managers, coaches, why we need to put the, the referee in that situation is 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 could be divisive and I think that goes back to the reason I bring that up is it goes back to my point about what are they there to do you know why are they involved in that fixture are we asking too much of them are we then adding another layer to this relationship that's already as we've talked about strained and and that seems to me that it's adding another complexity and issue to that relationship which perhaps doesn't need to be there so yes there, there needs to be a lot of consideration about how we move forward with with those relationships, I think. And it's not easy because I think a lot of people in refereeing would say, well, you know, we would buy into that. You've got to get coaches and players and clubs and leagues to buy into that, which is a different thing. However, if after COVID there's, the numbers aren't coming back, they might have no choice. And that might be something that actually can be used as a catalyst to say, look, we need to engage more. Um, so as I say, th- there can be some positive things in that situation, but certainly the relationships between those groups in sport need needs consideration. Yeah, that's so true. I, I really agree with what you just said. Like, And thinking about that, referees checking COVID safe measures being in place. I always say when I coach referees, I always say we as referees need to be the solution, not another issue, because that obviously creates that divisiveness where if we're just here to create problems or we add more issues, like, like simple things even, I know sometimes when you are picking the colors of your tops. When there's two teams, one team is, say, blue and one team is red, and you have a red or a blue uniform and you can't change yourself. And it's like, you are creating a problem because now you're going to go and ask a team to change their top, whilst we should be able to have all the colors, all the sort of stuff. So we can say, yeah, no problem. I'll just change myself and you guys go. It's simple stuff, but it's we need to be the solution. And I feel like also, you know, with these, these COVID measures, like we're not potentially a solution and adds more friction to to the relationship and it's quite interesting because you know that's what we that was kind of like the mission of this podcast sort of humanizing referees for players and coaches for everyone to understand that we're not just these individuals that rock up at a, at a game on a Sunday trying to you know cause ruckus and just make them lose but we are actually supporters we are normal people we're just football lovers people that love the game and, you know, for £25, $25, whatever um, the currency is, you get on a, on, a, on, a, on a pitch on a Sunday to, you know, to do what you love. Um, and it's definitely not to make anyone lose. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. Um, what do you think, you know, t- talking about um, more engagement, more inclusion, I really do hope that COVID post-COVID, we may, you know, we may be able to use this situation in our favor, you know, trying to find some, some pros after this crazy year. What do you think are some ways or what maybe even us as referees, as individuals, what, we can, what can we do going forward to try and reduce this gap between referees and teams and players? I think it's a difficult one. I think education is part of it, um, you know, for, for 
for referees, like you say, it's great. You know, I think that's a really good sentiment, you know, be part of the solution, not the problem. Um, you know, if players and coaches and spectators see referees more positively, that's a good thing. But it is ultimately down to education of players, coaches, spectators, leagues, clubs, you know, that sort of stuff to understand why match officials are essential, why they're there, the form. And, and again, I, I, I don't think they understand necessarily what goes on around the fixture for referees and match officials. It's not just turning up and officiating in that game and then going home. That's not how it works. There's, you know, the reports that have to be filled out. There's the preparation. There's making sure the playing area is safe. There's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, and, and I'm not sure that's that's communicated as well as it could be, not just by governing bodies, but also referee or associations and authorities as well. That that could be a bit more clear. But obviously, you've got to get coaches, players, spectators to buy into that as well. And that's the more difficult side of that argument, I think. And that's why I'm talking about, you know, things like over time, looking at coaching awards and just having a little bit of that coaching award that focuses on the role of the referee on a match day. You know, if you're coaching kids, players, whatever, youth football, you're going to have referees there um, in football on a match day, yeah. So that surely, to me, that's part of the education of about what how you interact with those individuals. And different countries do it in different ways. Some countries have referees that almost train with certain clubs uh, and are involved with those clubs. And and then when they're young, they referee those youth games, and then they go out and referee other fixtures and things like that. And that's you know to be more nurturing and supportive and things. Some countries don't do it like that. You know, in England, they, it doesn't happen like that, for example. It does vary country to country and it varies region to region, even within that country as well, in terms of the quality of the support for referees and the training opportunities that exist. And so, you know, I think we have to look at, at, at some of that. But I think the main thing is that buy-in from other factors of the game. That that really is important because, you know, no one wins if if match officials leave. That That's, you know, if, if they discontinue everyone loses okay and and the way i look at it is yes i come at it from uh i know we're, we're involved in the research around match officials and ultimately hoping to improve the experience and improve retention and things like that but if you improve the experience on the day for match officials you also improve that experience for everyone yeah so it, it, they're interconnected it's not like they operate in isolation any of these groups that we're talking about any of these stakeholder groups match officials, referees, players, coaches, spectators, they're interlinked. Yeah. And, and so if you improve the situation and the environment for a match official on a match day, you improve it for everyone. So to me, it's all linked. You know, I, I, yes, we're looking at it from a perspective of a match official, but, you know, if you improve that environment for them, you improve it for everyone and everyone wins. So, you know, you can't get away from the fact it's interlinked. And that's why you need that buy-in in terms of that education for those other groups, I think. I think that's a fantastic point, Tom, where you say there's two different goals. Referees have the goal of um, wanting to create good football matches to support fair play. Um, and the teams, uh, so the players, the coaches, supporters want to go and see and see their team win. And so there's, in, it looks like two different goals, but as you say, they are, they are very much linked. And being able to support mm. referees to do their goal in, in the way that, um, they can feel supported to go out and to control the match properly um, supports exactly what the fans, what the players go out to do to have a good footballing match and to ultimately have a, an enjoyable spectacle uh, to, to get football going so that they can try and achieve their goal of, 
of winning the game and the referees are supported to achieve their goal of, of having a fair game. So I think that's, that's absolutely essential going forward to have those two goals linked and to understand um, each other so that both um, referees, um, players, coaches, everyone can, can be on a, a wavelength where we are um, enjoying football and helping to make football and the footballing experience the best it can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, you know, the teams have to accept that, that someone might well lose. You know, that's, that's sport, you know. So we, we have to accept that. You know, as I said, I, you know, I coach my son's football team. We've got a good team. They don't win every week. They're a good team. But there are teams that, you know, have beaten them this season. They've beaten some of them. You know, at a good level, that's what happens, you know, and it should happen. It sh- you should be challenging them. It's no good them turning up winning week after week after week by a lot. It, it, no one learns anything from that. You want close fixtures. You want it to go either way. And you just, you have to accept that you're not going to be on the right side of that result every time. And it's all too easy to blame the referee if that, or the match official, if that happens, that's sport. It's not... You know, it's not one individual's fault. You know, as if I'm coaching my son's team, you know, could I have made better decisions in terms of the tactics during the game? Yeah, probably. Could I have made a different substitution? Or if one of those players had, had scored the chance they had, it would have made the game different. You know, those are all things that contribute to the, the end result that's achieved. It's not just someone giving a decision one way or another. We have to understand that there's a lot of different factors that go into a match you know in, in any sport we're talking about and so it's far too simplistic in my view and certainly the research we've done to say well that individual is, is impacted negatively on, on our team and things like that of course people make mistakes you know we all do as part of sport but sport wouldn't be sport if there weren't pieces of brilliance and also errors you know that's what makes a game and, and we have to accept that I yeah I was uh, I don't remember what I was listening to but Someone the other day said, if no one made mistakes during a game, every game would end 0-0. Zero, zero. They, they would all be nil, nil all drops. Yeah, you know, defenders, defenders score own goals. They play people on side. They give away penalties, free kicks outside the box. They don't, you know, midfielders don't track a player. The player goes through and scores. A, a centre forward, striker misses an open goal. You know, these things happen during a match, right? We, that's an individual error. Yes, a referee might miss a tackle or a foul. Yeah, it might happen. Of course it might. And it does in matches, you know, of course it does. But so do all these other things that I've just highlighted. You know, coaches, do they get the tactics right every week? No. You know, do they get the team selection right? No. You know, otherwise they wouldn't make changes at half time or after half an hour of the first half, which you see almost every week. You know, so we have to accept, and this is where understanding what, each of these groups is there to do is really important and understanding the role of the referee or the match official is important in that process. And I think if we can do that a bit more, it might lead to more sort of harmonious interaction between those groups. And that that's to me, that's important. Yeah. We should take this last five minutes and just, you know, print whatever you, you just said <laughs> and send this around to clubs and, uh, and football fans because I wish it was more self-awareness from their point of view because I think that's, that's interesting how you could make that parallel between football, you know, of the self, being self-aware and saying, well, it's not necessarily the external factors that are, gonna, that are making me or my team fail, but it's also my decisions because that happens in life as well. And we see it in business, we see it in, you know, in families, we see it everywhere. 
it's always something else. It's not, you know, I made the wrong decision for my business. So that's why my business failed. It's because someone else came in and, you know, either it's the government taxing me too much or it's one of my competitors being too good, all that sort of stuff. It's always someone else. It's, I think it's part of human nature, unfortunately, always looking outside for reasons why we made a mistake versus uh, we did. So yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. It's definitely one of those issues that it's, it's going to be probably hard to tackle and it'll, be, it'll take a while, but it's a cultural change. Cultural change yeah, takes exactly. time. You know, it does, you know, and, and we have to accept that. And that's why the, you know, this sort of building the evidence base and the research and um, the empirical evidence and things around that, you know, the different areas that I look at and we research as part of, you know, the referee match official research network at the university of Portsmouth and, and the stuff we've done and, and the people I work with, you know, I work with people in Canada, in Australia, in the US, you know, it's really important, these connections, because that's how you understand a bit more about these situations and that and building that evidence base is really important. Um, talking to people like UEFA when I went and presented there a couple of times and things like that is 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 important because without that, you know, things just carry on as they are. And that's and that isn't working as well as it could. So I think that's where that change has to has to occur. I think this is the first time on the pub we've been able to really get into a, a nice sort of philosophical discussion about the role of a referee, the role of sport and the way it all fits together, which works really well about us trying to just show that we are we are in fact human, that there's this human element to football. And this is why it's it's so great to have your perspective on it as, as a researcher and an academic to get that real take to, to have that higher thinking. And that's something that we, um, it'd be great to push through to, to people involved in the game, to, to coaches, to have a think about why why referees do what they do, why we do what we do in, in football. And I guess to, to bring that through, I guess it'd be interesting to have, have a chat about how those play out in in other sports. Um, we've seen it in football that it plays through. These are the, the cultures. These are the, the history. This is the context where we go out and do it. And it'd be interesting to know is there anything that's majorly different across other sports? I know you've looked at at rugby, at cricket, maybe a little bit with netball as well. And and what are some maybe some of the biggest differences across those sports, or, or what might be the same? What might still be the same inherent um, challenges? Yeah, the, I mean the work we've done, the research we've done across countries, football with the Dutch and French FAs show trends that we saw in England, similar trends, you know, I highlighted the issues with abuse, with non-reporting of incidents um, of abuse because they don't trust disciplinary systems and, and things like that. A lot of these factors are not unique to one country and they're also not unique to one sport. And when you start looking at other sports, the same things, yes, there are nuances between sports. Of course there are because of the historical and cultural evolution and development of those sports. And sometimes the people that play them are slightly different and the acceptance of things like abuse, for example, we talked about, you know, the, the fact it's part of the culture in football almost. And, you know, we talked about that in Italy. We've got to understand that in other sports, it's not as accepted, you know, so like, you know, the tolerance levels in cricket and rugby union are going to be lower so what we would say is abuse in football in terms of verbal abuse in particular I'm talking about physical abuse is a bit more obvious you know we know what physical abuse is verbal abuse is quite a, a personal subjective thing and, and what I feel is abuse you you might not and certainly it differs from sport to sport but effectively if someone feels like they've been verbally abused they've been verbally abused because it's quite a personal thing and of course it's how it makes that individual feel act and react so that's the problem 
And if it makes them think they're going to stop or discontinue, then that's what we need to sort of break that chain. And, and that's where that that sort of understanding is really important. We've looked at other sports and so we do it. We're doing work in netball with the International Netball Federation with their umpires, uh, looking at the projects there. We are involved in um, and I'm leading the research for a European wide project which starts next year, looking at increasing the participation of female match officials across Europe in different sports, uh, working with some, some people in Canada, looking at the impact of mental health and well-being on, on match officials in Canada. You know, these things are really, really important to, to further understand the challenges and the differences between sports and cultures. And when we need to, we need to do that research. It's just, it doesn't exist. At the moment, you know, there's some that we've done and, and some other pockets of of research, but but not enough. And and that's what what we're sort of working on at the moment. But what we were really interested in doing in the book, and what we really wanted to focus on at the end of the book, actually in the final chapter, is areas of good practice. You know, is things that are going on that, that are supporting match officials that are that have worked. You know, things that haven't worked as well. That's important to understand. But you know, what's been done that's innovative that that's changed. And the landscape that supported referees, match officials more. And we included that in the book because I thought that was really important to end on a on a sort of positive note. It's really easy to be negative about the amount of abuse and the issues and things like that. But there are positives as well. There are things that are going on that are really innovative that are, you know, trying to to develop match officials, trying to increase the recruitment and retention and things like that. And that that for me is really important to accentuate as well. Tom Webb, thank you very much for joining us on My Life on the Line. A bit of a different episode for us, but one which I found really insightful. And it was great to to have a chat about how you, you fell into the world of, of refereeing and, and became a, a referee researcher and discovered what went on behind the scenes. And great to hear some of the, the solutions and how there is a path forward. Uh, and it's great to hear Ali talk about how referees, uh, it's great to hear the work you're doing and to the ideas that you're you're putting together to help move forward rather than just, as you said, it's very easy to identify abuse and that these are the issues, but trying to tackle that and to have um, constructive ways to go forward. So that was fantastic to have you on. It was a really great discussion. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for, for having me. 